dogs because they act like fucking dogs. If you're just calling a bunch of chicks minding their own business dogs because you don't want to have sex with them, well, you can go fuck yourself. Interesting. Interesting take. Welcome back to another episode of Lyrics for Lunch, the podcast that asks the tough questions like, who let the dogs out? I'm your host. My name is Aviv Rubenstein. I am a writer and musician and podcast host. And this is a show where we do deep dives on the cultural, historical, lyrical, legal significances of all of your favorite or least favorite songs and i would be nothing and nowhere without my co-host whose name is lindsey tucker hi I'm hi lindsey tucker hi i'm a journalist i'm a former music writer and professional researcher but i'm not researching today researcher. no you're not i i feel very strange every time i have to do the research because I feel like there's, I'm either doing too much or too little research. I think you're doing just the right amount. We're going to find out. <laughs> um, the research was actually very easy for me to do this this week, and I will explain why in a minute. But uh, today we're going to be delving into the 1999-2000 ultra-mega-super hit, Who Let the Dogs Out? But before we do that... I think we have a little trip to the mailbag. We do. We have mail. So thank you for everyone who's sending us um, support, questions, comments, hate mail. We love all of it. I don't. We don't love the hate mail. Some of y'all are annoying. Some of y'all are annoying. No, I'm just kidding. Dan, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Here's what we have in our mailbag. This is from Todd, my cousin. Hi, Todd. <laughs> my cousin. Is that his handle or is it? No, this is my actual cousin. Oh, okay. We're in friends and family mailbag. This one is, because I felt the need to share it with you. Okay. So far, the only thing I don't really like about your podcast is your stance on Aerosmith. I mean... Oh, Aerosmith blows ass. Steven Tyler can suck every dick ever, but as much as nobody wants to admit it, they kind of rule here and there. With with that mouth, he probably could suck every dick ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are a couple of good Aerosmith songs. I... Uh, Todd, you're welcome to come on and tell us all of the great things about Aerosmith that we're just missing. It'll just be the shortest podcast in the world. <laughs> um, okay, this is from Colleen in the UK. Colleen, Hi, Colleen. Hi. Colleen said, Blues Traveler, hook, line, and sinker. So good. <laughs> as somebody who has been endlessly obsessed with lyrics and the meaning behind songs, I am just as obsessed with your podcast. Well, thank you. We thought that we were the only people that cared about lyrics, and there is a study that was repeated in the podcast You're Wrong About, which I we're both fans of, yeah. saying that like 60% of people don't know the lyrics to their favorite songs or whatever. So we're glad that there are other people out there like us, especially you, Colleen. Especially you. Especially you, Colleen. This is from Owen Ritchie on Instagram. Oh, shit. I love your There's profile more. picture. 
Especially, I'll be happy if you text me back. I'm a sugar daddy. I'm interested in having you as my sugar baby and get you paid weekly. My payments start from 3000 LMK if you're interested. Owen, I am in. <laughs> Thanks, Owen. A little wink. Wink. He, our profile picture, by the way, was done by the amazing Rachel Kennedy. Incredible Rachel Kennedy. Yes. Follow her on Instagram. And yeah, if little dancing sandwiches are your thing... At us. Yeah. Mm. Well, without further ado, is there more? That was it. That was excellent. Uh, without further ado, we're going to get into tonight's main event, which is a deep dive on everyone's absolute favorite song, Who Let the Dogs Out? I just have to point out it's 11 a.m. of Eve's time. Well, I don't know. People always listen to their podcasts at dinner, right? Do they? The main know. event today of the week. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'm I I have made a pact with myself to get better about stating the theme of the episode at the top of the show. And so this is me stating the theme of the episode at the top of the show. I am here to convince you of the existence of time travel. Oh, okay. I mean, That's you already it. convinced me months ago. It's true. <laughs> Next week, months ago. Um, so, I mean, I think at the par- part of the thing about this song is that everyone knows this song. So t- tell me about this song, what you know of it. Not very much. It's okay. Who Let the Dogs right. Out, woof, 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 woof. And um, made famous by who? The Bahamen, who right. is a band from the Bahamas, I believe. Mm-hmm. And They're Bahamen. Bahamen. They came out. With, I guess you said it was 1999. I thought it was early 2000s. Um, that's the only hit of theirs I know, but I believe they were formed in like the 70s or 80s. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. I mean, that's like it. I, I feel like the song was on like jock jams, but not really jock jams, like the Now That's What I Call Music albums. Sure, yeah, yeah. So uh, do you have a specific history with the song? Could you remember the first time hearing it? Seventh grade, maybe? Sure. Eighth so grade? that's like 1999, 2000. Eighth grade. I don't remember being super obsessed with it. I just remember it being huge. And I do think it was because it was on those sort of like compilation CDs that you would see uh, on TV, on commercials. Like, you know, like I said, like now that's what I call music volume seven. I think it was played at sports games. It was. We're going to talk a lot about <laughs> sports games. So, uh, just as a quick refresher, because I, I have listened to the song a lot over the last week, but I'm assuming Lindsay has not listened to the song in probably no. 15 years. Uh, let's take a listen to and watch the video for Who Let the Dogs Out. $1 billion. The question is, who let the dogs out? What? So, so what are you seeing? What's happening? Um, uh, security guard watching who wants to be a millionaire so already dating us right yeah (laughs) and he had a dog and then the question was who let the dogs out and then a bunch of dogs came out and so did the bahaman here here we are yeah the bahaman so i um i associate this song with like eighth grade dances right oh i bet you were just whiling out mm-hmm. it's true <laughs> and like the guy that looks like cisco but isn't cisco there's um 
like a fish island on every shot. Just ev- just everything. <laughs> Okay, panting. I 100% have never seen this video, but as you know, I was banned from MTV for most of my life. <laughs> I, I definitely saw the video, but never remembered like the narrative of literal dogs. It seems so literal, yeah. Yeah. And, and there are people, women in like a convertible with a dog catching net. People seem to be causing a lot more chaos than the dogs, to be honest. Well, this is, I think, part of the theme of the song that we'll discuss in a minute. Okay. So, luckily for me and for you listeners, the podcast 99% Invisible did an entire episode on Who Let the Dogs Out last year, a little, little over a year ago. And so a lot of this is taken from that, interpolated from that, but with, you know, new new information. So Roman Mars, who's the host of... Oh, there's like a rap breakdown. Not that there wasn't rapping before. But Roman Mars, the host of 99% Invisible, said, even if you haven't heard the song, you feel like you already kind of know the song already, even the first time you heard it. He describes hearing it at a baseball Giants game for the first time live like there was a live performance of the Baja Men oh and yeah and he was like had never heard it before but already kind of knew it so keep that in mind okay so we yeah we end with a big party this song is three minutes and 33 seconds long which is probably too a minute long. too long uh-huh. yeah the who let the dogs out this is performed by the Baja Men. That's like the very famous version of it, but it was originally released in 1998-ish by this dude named named Anselm Douglas. No uh, way. And the, the song was titled Doggy. What? I and need so, this. Play it. Well, well, you're already, your mind's already blown. We're in like minute one. <laughs> I cannot wait for this roller coaster. <laughs> Oh, okay, so so Anselm Douglas records this song. It's called Doggy, and it is just, you know. Hey, ladies, take charge of this one. Are you running? <laughs> it sounds like Sebastian from The Little Mermaid. I'm leaving you in charge. Racism. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Okay. Party was empty. Party was pumping. Hey, are you behind you? So it's it's basically the same exact song, but, you know. Slightly less obnoxious, in my opinion. Slightly less obnoxious, because it's not like a group vocal singing Who Let the, who let the Dogs Out. <laughs> and it's a little faster, right? It is a little faster and a little more like Mario Kart. Oh, yeah, there's like a pan flute thing happening in there. So it's it's the same song, same lyrics. This is like a cover of doggy parentheses who let the dogs out the the baja men is the cover but the question is is this the original we're gonna find out so one of the members uh of the baja men dyson knight explained to vice how this happened how they they came to record this version and he said the manager of the baja men who is 
manager producer named Steve Greenberg heard the version of the song in Europe, in England, and he called the other members of the Bahamian Isaiah Taylor, and he was like, it's a must. You have to record this song. You've got the right vibe. It's going to be a huge hit. And the Bahamian were like, no, please no. Don't make us do this. What were the Bahamian recording at the time? So the Bahamian uh, have the, a type of music called Junkano, Junkano, and it is it, it it's like Bahamian street music, so like something that you'd hear in like a parade or at like a block party. So what you're hearing is a Junkano version of the original song. So it's like a little slower, it's a little more it's a little less calypso, which they like kind of decalypsoed it for American audiences, but like it sounds like, you know, dudes singing and banging on trash cans by design. So from song facts, there were actually various versions of this song in the Caribbean. Okay. But the Baja men toned it down, toned down the clips over them to make it more appealing to American listeners. And one of the reasons that they didn't want to do this song is because it was already a hit where they were from. So it was like silly. Yeah. And Steve Greenberg is like, no, no, this is going to be a massive world wide success well what was wrong with the original like why was he like you must be the ones that's a really good question i think it was it had already like was already old and out like it they couldn't do a a new push there's also a couple of other variables and elements that were put in place to make it more of a success which we'll talk about in a minute once again from song facts uh, a key component of the song is the bellowing voice that asks the question who let the dogs out and every member of the group of the Baja men auditioned to do this line and the guy who it is is Marvin Prosper that's like just one of the members of the band but right before the band recorded this song the, you you mentioned that the Baja men were around since the 70s which is absolutely true but they're kind of like a menudo-esque band where like they rotate members mm-hmm. and so right before the band was set to record the song they kind of rotated out members to get some younger new blood in there so i think that that was a big part of the song's success too is like if you look at anselm douglas he like looks like kind of an old old man so what do you think the song is about dogs running around like literal canines. I mean, I guess I would think that it was about like dudes. D- tell me more about dudes. Um, they're dogs. Dudes, in fact, are dogs. <laughs> and any, would you like to elaborate? Um, I don't think you want me to. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. So, according to Urban Dictionary, which is, of course, the very, very clear and definitive definition who let the dogs out is an expression used when a girl or group of girls that are particularly ugly walked by so quote here comes jessica and her friends christ who let the dogs out and this is from Sycundus at in september of 2004 right so this was starting to become part of the cultural lexicon as like the women are dog like ugly women are dogs not that long after the song gained super huge popularity right so not great horrible horrible (laughs) tell me more about how men are dogs (laughs) men are dogs because they act like fucking dogs if you're just calling a bunch of chicks minding their own business dogs because you don't want to have sex with them well you can go fuck yourself 
Interesting. Interesting take. <laughs> Hot take. So this is a picture from Fuck Jerry from October 25th, 2015. And I forgot about Fuck Jerry. Is he still around? So we're going to talk about Fuck Jerry. We're going to do a quick detour into Fuck Jerry. This was the last thing I researched, like as I was waiting for you to log on. Um, they, he spelled woman wrong. Women? Yeah, I don't know, man. So can you read the meme? Oh, yeah, sorry. When you realize the song Who Let the Dogs Out is about ugly woman in the club and not loose dogs. And there's like a, there's a, the, the gif of Weebay Bryce from The Wire just getting his mind blown. Yeah. Okay, so a little bit about Fuck Jerry. Urban Dictionary, I think we all kind of know that that needs to be taken with a mountain of salt. Fuck Jerry is an Instagram known for, it's an, it's like an aggregator of online content. So Fuck Jerry, there is no, nothing original about the content that Fuck Jerry makes. They just like find funny memes from other people and repost them. And they have 15.7 million followers on Instagram as of this month. They were created in 2011 by Elliot Tabili, and it led to a, it like the popularity of the Instagram account led to the founding of Jerry Media, which produced the Fire Festival. <gasps> it did. Yes. I don't know how I missed that connection. Well, they, so they 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 were like part of the promo team that produced the fire festival so fuck jerry was behind all of the fire festival marketing which was like that was the only thing i suppose you could say that was the only thing about the fire festival that worked was the marketing i mean american cheese on a plate works for me yeah me too so um, later didn't fuck for, jerry get in trouble for not having any original content and not crediting the original they certainly did aha uh-huh. So, but before that, so like in between that, I mean, that was like kind of a unknown thing is like comedians and just regular people on the internet calling out fuck Jerry for just like not crediting anything. Mm-hmm. But so, okay. Fuck Jerry, uh, Jerry media produced the promotion for the fire festival. And later they co-produced the documentary fire about the Fire oh, Festival, okay. the one released on Netflix, and it was released on Netflix four days after Hulu released Fire Fraud. And if you watch the documentary with that in mind, you can see the fuck Jerry people like kind of hedging and making themselves look a little bit. They're like, we had no idea what a fraud this is, which I don't really believe. Um, in 2019, Comedy Central pulled advertising from Jerry Media because they acknowledged that they stole content and they didn't include any attribution to the creators. And in February, 2019, so the, the month after the documentary premiered, fuck Jerry said it would change its practices and ask for permission from the creators before posting any content. Right. So maybe that's the end of the fuck Jerry story, but it certainly isn't. (laughs) All right. In 2020, Jerry Media was hired to produce original content for the first time for the Michael Bloomberg 2020 presidential campaign. What? Why? Get me fuck Jerry. I guess, right? (laughs) And so so the company was criticized for flooding all their social media platforms with pro-Bloomberg memes. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god okay but they're still around as of this month i don't the see shit account anymore, thank god well each each one of their sponsored posts they have 15.7 million followers each one of their sponsored posts earns the earns jerry media thirty thousand dollars wow 
So that's not They're not doing bad, right. Okay, so I want to, especially because the Who Let the Dogs Out, the only part of Who Let the Dogs Out that anyone remembers is the chorus. I want to do a dramatic reading of the lyrics, and I cut out all of the stuff that, I, I only left the stuff that wasn't Who Let the Dogs Out. Okay. So this is the stuff that no one can follow because it's too fast and the hook is so unbelievably catchy. Um, and once again, this is all the stuff that was written by Anselm Douglas. So would you like to alternate the verses? I would like to say the get back scruffy part. Uh, okay, I'll do the first verse and you can do the second verse, which is the get, get back scruffy part. Great. Of even the future, cue some masterpiece theater music. When the party was nice, the party was bumping. Hey, yippee-yi-yo. And everybody having a ball. I tell the fellas, stop the name-calling. And then them girls respond to the call. I hear a woman shout out, who let the dogs out? I see a little speedboat head up our coast. She really wants to skip town. Get back, Ruffy. Back, Scruffy. Get back, you flea-infested mongrel. I'm going to tell myself I might not get angry. Hey, yippee-i-yo. To hear dem girls calling them canine. But they say, hey, man, dat is part of the party. Them woman in front and they man behind. Them woman in front and their man behind. I hear a woman shout out. Who <laughs> let the dogs out. Okay. It's hard to I mean, read because it's spelled phonetically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely in the, like, um, Calypso Patois sort of thing. Uh, a doggy is nothing if you don't have a bone. All doggy hold your bone. All doggy hold it. A doggy is nothing if you don't have a bone. All doggy hold your bone. All doggy hold it. Who let the dogs out? Well, we're gonna we're gonna break it down. Just take us home on the fourth verse, on the third verse. You see a little speedboat head up our coast. She really wanna skip down. Get back, Fluffy. Back, Scruffy. Get back, you flea-infested mongrel. Well, if I was a dog, the party is on. I gotta get my girl. I gotta get my mind on. Do you see the rays coming from my eyes? Walking through the place like Diggyman. Just D- Digiman? Digiman. Just breaking it down. <laughs> Me and my white socks. What? Short and I can't see color. Like you. And color but you. Ouch. Any color but you. I'm figuring that's why they call me Pitbull. Because I'm the man of the land. When they see me, they say, ooh, who let the dogs out? Okay. So, do you want to kind of, after reading the lyrics, do you want to give me a sense of what you think the song is about? Has, Has it confirmed anything? Has it disrupted any of your preconceived notions? Well, now I was already on the mind track that it was about women when I wasn't mm-hmm. sure about that before. So then it's like they're coming in their speedboat and they don't want no part of that. And then that being what? Those ugly chicks. Oh, so we're thinking it's the it's the men coming in the speedboat and they don't want no part of the ugly chicks. Get back, fluffy. Get back, scruffy. I thought the chicks were coming in the speedboat. Okay, so. <laughs> So so explain it to me. Break it open for me because I'm lost. Um, all right. Let me go back to the lyrics. I see your little speedboat heading up our coast. She really want to skip town. So, you know, those chicks heading up our coast, they're trying to skip out of their town. And then he's saying get back to them because, you know, he doesn't want Because they're gross. They're Loretta. 
Loretta? And, yeah, get back, Loretta. I don't know. The, I don't the know Beatles. what that is. Okay. Um, Let's talk about the Beatles. They can't do any episode without talking about the Beatles. It's the Ballad of John and Yoko. <laughs> okay. I don't know. He has white socks on. <laughs> and then I guess all of the ugly chicks need to get a bone. So Anselm Douglas admitted that the song has nothing to do with actual dogs, and he wanted to write a feminist anthem because he saw all of the women at the club getting catcalled. And so this so is So I was an, right. You're right. <laughs> so this is what his this is his quote. It's a man bashing song. I'll tell you why. The lyrics of the song say the party was nice, the party was pumping. When I say the word party, I was being metaphorical. It really means things are going great. The yippee-io, that's everyone's happy, right? And everyone was having a ball. Life was going great. Until the men started name-calling and the girls respond to the call. So the men started calling the women skank and skettle, which is like a Bahaman word for slut. Every dirty word you can think of. The men started name calling and the girls respond to the call. And then the woman shouts out who let the dogs out. And we started calling men dogs and it's a man bashing song. Okay. Why'd you have to turn me around in my head like that? I didn't mean to. (laughs) I just am taking you through what I, so like I saw these fuck Jerry beams. I saw this kind of this urban dictionary thing. And I was very turned around the moment I realized that, the point of view of the song is of a woman. Okay. Right? And it seems like the last verse, which is the the kind of the rapping thing where he's wearing his white socks and he's the pit bull, that seems to be kind of an addition that doesn't really jive with that, but whatever. Was that in the original song? Does not seem to be in the original. So, from Steve Greenberg, who is the record producer... Moving forward, this is all from the Entertainment Weekly interview with Steve Greenberg and some members of the Bahamut. Quote, it was after Carnival Carnival of 1998 in Trinidad and Tobago, and this guy comes in to pitch. The hook was so strong, and it stayed in my head literally for years. The song was called Doggy by Anselm Douglas. Every once in a while, it would pop into my head, and I'd go... If I can figure out the right way to do this record, I could have a big hit. And finally, I gave in to the temptation, and I said, I'm going to do this with the Baja Men. Now, what if I told you that Steve Greenberg kept a diary (laughs) and wrote about wanting to make this with the Baja Men in his diary? I would say, great, let's read it. What else did he write? Oh, you don't have to read it you can hear him talk about it. Even better. The song had a really amazing hook. And I'd say, one of these days I'm gonna figure out how to do this, you know? Do this song right, because there's something here. And I, and I just never forgot about the song. I knew that the Bahamen were the people who I wanted to record the song. They just made sense to me. And in fact, I used to keep a diary, and I wrote in my diary, um, I'm gonna record that song, Who Let the Dogs Out, with the Baja Men, and have a big hit all over the world, I'm certain. I had to, so all the, the all these clips are pulled from the 99% Invisible podcast. Okay, that's some genuine manifesting right there. Genuine manifesting. Um, and Steve Greenberg was a big record producer. He also produced Mbop for Hanson. Love it. So he like, he knows his We stuff. had a request for a Hanson song. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, Isaiah Taylor is 
one of the members of the Baja Men, and he says, I knew about the song before Steve brought it to my attention. When he called me in the Bahamas, I fir- at first I refused. I didn't want to do it because at that time, I'm not sure the song would have even worked for us. Finally, I finally said, okay, we'll do the song. Steve had a plan. He didn't say what the plan was, but he had a plan. Quote Greenberg, I was 100% sure that it was just going to be the biggest thing in the world. I knew it had to be done by someone who was Caribbean to make it authentic. Then the worst thing happened, which is that the lead singer, Nehemiah Hild Hield, quit. I was crestfallen because I had the song and no one to sing it, and now it turned out it could it was the best thing that could have ever happened to the band because it enabled us to go down to the Bahamas and to hold open tryouts. What? And we were able to find these three young guys who were great singers, great dancers, and really charismatic, and they totally changed up the vibe of the song. Okay. So they had an open casting call down in the Bahamas for, for the guys in the video, basically. Okay. But they, I mean, they actually sang the song too, but like, like I said, this was like a Menudo thing. So they knew that they wanted to do who let the dogs out. And then Greenberg goes down there and is, and is putting together a, a band, a new Baja men specifically to produce the best version of who let the dogs out possible. Question. Yes. Did this version of Bahaman ever do anything else? No worries. Yes, they had they had an, one other song. Okay. We're, we'll listen to it at the at the end. All right. There's like a kind of a sad statement. I mean, ulti- the short answer is like not really, but they did have another song. Okay, I'll wait. Um, so Rick Carey is the lead singer of the Baja Men, and according to the song facts, he's the only member of the nine-piece band to not own a dog. He only has cats. He says, quote, I had heard the song back at Carnival, and I never would have thought I would be doing a song like that, but I was just excited to be in the studio and in the professional recording environment working. The hardest part for me was getting the verses down. It was hours and hours of vocals. That's a huge type of sound to get and a huge vocal delivery. This was not a 15-minute recording process. So it was an easy e situation. Yeah. Basically, but like, I mean, Easy E is cruising down the street in my 6'4", right? So it's really, really slow. This is 10 times the speed and 10 times the amount of lyrics. <laughs> so Greenberg says, I was about to sign up, deal with this other record label. I walked into their office and I said, here's the first thing I'm going to put out. And he played Who Let the Dogs Out? And they laughed at him. The general Hilarious. manager did this very dramatic thing where she turned on the radio and said, this is what Z100 sounds like. Does this record sound like it belongs on Z100? Loved me some Z100. Sure. <laughs> but she was right. It didn't turn out to be a big radio hit. If you look at the Billboard Hot 100, Who Let the Dogs Out peaked at 40. Okay. It was too polarizing, quote Greenberg. For everyone who loved it, there was someone who hated it. To put that into perspective, other for other one-hit wonders, Lou Bega's Mambo, Mambo Number no. 5 hit number 3, and the Macarena, which we will definitely do an episode on one day, spent 14 weeks at number 1. Wow. Right? Yeah. So, how did this song become a hit? Sports games. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, Quoting Greenberg again, it didn't research well, so it didn't last very long on the air, but it was enough. The spark got 
got it in front of people and sports people and the kids ran with it. The song really broke from two things, kids and sports. I had a friend, this is still Greenberg, I had a friend who had been a radio promo guy and I called him and said, I want you to figure out who picks the records in every baseball stadium in the country and I want you to find that guy and work that guy like he was the program director of a radio station. And he goes and gets pretty much everyone in the universe to play this record, which no one had ever heard before. That was really the innovation. I was sure that this thing would be the biggest sports anthem in the world. Clearly, he's never heard Sweet Caroline. Ba, ba, ba. Um, The song was so big that it actually caused a rift between two Seattle Mariners. What? Go on. So the the Seattle Mariners were the first franchise to put the song in rotation, and catcher Joe Oliver was using it as his theme music, like, to walk to the plate. Okay. But shortstop Alex Rodriguez wanted it for himself and Rodriguez got his way because he was the star and the next year Rodriguez left to go be with the Texas Rangers. A-Rod. Incredible. You know, the only time I've ever seen a real fight in baseball was with A-Rod and Jason Baratek. Oh, really? Yeah. That was Oh, so it was, a, it was a Boston game? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was awesome. a Yankees uh Sox game. So Daniel Glass was the president of Artemis Records at the time, and he said, our head of marketing was very good at sports marketing. I had never seen a record company do mailers. You know what mailers are, right? Yeah. Uh, We sent it out to every football, baseball, basketball, soccer, and hockey team. We sent it to everybody. It became like a new world where the programmer at the sports places became an actual personality. They could break records, and this was a phenomenon. What if our listeners don't know what mailers are because they didn't work at a radio station? What's a mailer, Lindsay? <laughs> it's when you send it out in the mail. Great. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah, so so radio So we get a big get, pile of shit yeah. that we have to like sludge through and usually you pick like one out of a hundred to actually put on air. It's it's like similarly similar to like cold calling a place, right? Like you just send them your record and you hope that they Put it on the air. And this makes kind of sense for radio stations, but it makes absolutely no sense for sports right. arenas. I also um, don't know how it. many, because I wasn't working at like a clear channel radio station. I was working at an independent radio station where we actually were looking for unknown music. Mm-hmm. And so we had a whole team and every night we would all bring home maybe 20 CDs and listen to them. Uh, but I really don't know if that was happening at other radio stations. Yeah, I I worked at my college or my college newspaper in the entertainment section and had to take home like fifteen CDs every week to to listen to whether they're good or not. So Greenberg, the Baja men were so big by the time the season ended, they were literally getting flown all over the country to stadiums to play on the field before significant games. I was about to ask, what's the biggest game they played at? So they actually played at like. It's not even the biggest games. It's how many games in a day. Really? So according to Rick Carey, quote, we were young at the time. We had tons of energy. We'd find ourselves performing twice, three times a day, but with no problems. It was a rush. It was a lot of hard work, but at the same time, a new experience. I just lived in it, man. It was like a dream come true. Once you got a hit song like that, everyone loves you. The audience was always excited. I can only speak for myself. I'm the one who had to sing it all the time. I definitely got tired of it. Anyone who has to sing a song that many times, they would naturally get tired of it. But we, when we got on the stage to perform it, it was like performing it for the first time. The audience always gave it new life. So they're just going around doing one song? 
Mm-hmm. And then leaving, and then going to a new stadium. <laughs> okay. At one at one point, uh, this this article said that like Good Morning America, CBS, This Morning Show, and the NBC, they were all fighting to see who they who could get the Baja Men first. Who did? Uh, I think Good Morning America. Of course. There's like a funny story about them going to New York and not realizing how cold it was, and the record label having to go buy them close. <laughs> nice. So, uh, at the same time. They worked it as a, as a sports single. They did a deal with Nickelodeon. There was this bidding war between Nickelodeon and Disney. Disney wanted it to be in the movie 101 Dalmatians, the Glenn Close one. And Nickelodeon wanted it to be the Rugrats in Paris. And they were tripping over each other to outbid each other. In the end, Nickelodeon offered the band their own half-hour live concert special and paid the cost of the video. I feel like Airbud would have been a better fit. Uh, Airbud was earlier than this. Mm, okay. So... Airbud the, 7. The thing that rocketed this into the absolute stratosphere is this is in the Rugrats in Paris as well. I don't remember Rugrats in Paris. I never saw it, but like when when I was researching this, it's like Rugrats in Paris, Rugrats in Paris, Rugrats in Paris. Because the um, first Rugrats soundtrack was big. It had Aaliyah on it and... Did it? Oh, yeah. Rugrats the movie. And it had, I think it had Amaya... So these are the, this is the, the this is the list of all of the famous places that it went. Ready? The album's first run sold three million copies, and bidding wars broke out to exclusively license the song. Nickelodeon beat Disney to get it in front of the kids in Rugrats in Paris. The New York Mets made it their theme song for the 2000 World Series. The Baja Men appeared in Apple commercials on The Simpsons. At MTV's Starry World's AIDS Day concert and at Al Gore's Election Day rally. Wow, wow. And Glass, who is the uh, former president of Artemis Records, says, quote, I can't imagine if YouTube was around at the time. It would have been a monster. <laughs> it would have been like uh, Gangnam Style or something, right? Yeah. So the final chapter of the story was in May of 2001 when a parade was held for the Bahamen in the Bahamas in honor of them being, presumably, the first Bahamans to win a Grammy. It won a Grammy for Best Dance Record. So I'm they sorry, wrote what? Best Dance w- Record? Yeah, Best Dance Recording. Recording? Yeah. So just the song, not the whole record? Yes, the single. Right. Okay, okay. So, quote, we rode around the whole island of Nassau in convertibles while holding our Grammys with people lining the streets. It was pretty surreal. For me, the capper was at the end of the parade when the prime minister presented us with the key to the city as a thank you for making it happen. Leaving aside the fact that the Bahamas is a country and not a city, it was a truly amazing moment for me, and I still cherish the key. Wow. In 2000, right? In 2015... Someone asked Rick Carey, like, why the song had so much appeal. Yeah. And he just said, quote, people are into their dogs. People are into their dogs. Yep. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, so the Baja Men did have one other single. The very, very, quote, Greenberg, very, very minor hit with their next single. It was called Move Like This. And, you know, he... Greenberg says there's a generation of kids that also know move like this. I have never heard it. I haven't did not even listen to it for to prep for this. So do you want to listen to move like this for the first time with me? I do. Oh, I'm sorry. Not move like this. Move it like this. Okay. Sorry to all the Bahaman heads out there. Oh, I have I have heard this song. 
I'm on the fence if I have or not. It was in something for sure. So it came out in 2007. And it was in the movie Big Fat Liar, starring Frankie Muniz and Amanda Bynes. I promise you I didn't see that. Okay. It was on the Barney Live concert. I definitely have heard the song. It sounds, I mean, there's like a little bit of a Barbie girl there. like. Yeah, to me it sounds like kind of a mid-90s dance hall song. Like, come on, ride the train or something. Yeah. Okay, I think I'm done with this, are you? Yes. Okay, so none of this has anything to do with time travel yet. So I mentioned that a lot of the a lot of the research on this had been done for me because there is actually a, a, a documentary called Who Let the Dogs Out, which premiered at South by Southwest in 2019 about the history of the song. And this is from The Daily Beast, from Kevin Fallon at The Daily Beast. Quote, where did we come from? Are we alone in the universe? Is there a God? These are some of the great unanswered questions of our time, though none perhaps greater than who let the dogs out? <laughs> so Ben Sisto is this guy. He's an artist and a marketing manager. He wor- he lives in Staten Island. And in 2008, he was inspired. He like saw that the 10 year anniversary of who let the dogs out was coming somehow and went to the Wikipedia when he was bored in a lobby waiting for a meeting and he saw that there was like no real writer credited like the history of the song was kind of incomplete okay and so and so he spent 8 years researching the question at the heart of the song so who let dogs out is kind of this rhetorical question of like who let all these gross men into the club but like who came up with that i love how politicians were like using it as their campaign song because Mm -hmm. yeah you're the fucking epitome of who left these fucking dogs out here al gore was fine i think kind (sighs) of he's still a politician who's still a politician it's true so he said he was mostly joking when he tried to do this right when he asked when he tried to find the answer of who actually let the dogs out okay but you know like like sure who who released the dogs but it was more complicated than he imagined. Like, who came up with the question in the first place? And uh, the answer is not easy. Okay. <laughs> so, in 2008, Sisto was waiting in a lobby. He read an article about the 10th anniversary. He went to Wikipedia, and it contained the factoid that the original hook of the song was discovered by a British hairdresser named Keith while on vacation. I'm sorry, just Keith? Uh Uh-huh. Keith had no last name. Okay. And so Ben says, with an exclamation point, that's not a proper citation. Thank you, Ben. At the time, Ben Sisto was unemployed and unattached and bored, and so he set out on an adventure to find Keith. Love this. I'm also unemployed and bored, and I would love to find Keith. Yeah, well, he found Keith. Um, <laughs> it's already been so done. So this is from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Quote, it said something like, the song was for- recorded off of a float at Carnival by a hairdresser named Keith. So my initial effort was to find out who Keith was exactly. 
This is before what's his face. Yes, this is the guy so, who so, said it was a feminist anthem. Yes. So, so the song that Keith heard was the Anselm spoilers, the Anselm Douglas who let the dogs out. No, oh, Keith Doggy heard version. the song. This is what we know now. Okay. Is that Keith heard the song at Carnival in 1998 and it started its journey to the West, let's say. Okay. So after some digging, it was determined that Keith was Keith Wainwright, who is an English hairdresser who worked with Elton John, David Bowie, and Roxy Music. Okay. He was awarded the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire in 2011 for his contributions to hairstyling. All right. I just started watching Holliston last night. Holliston. I don't know what that is. Okay. I have no idea what that is. Okay. Continue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so he, he worked with chemists to create some colored hair dyes during the 70s halston made hats and he got famous as a hat designer from jackie kennedy wearing one of his hats Ah. and then later became um, a fashion designer there's a line in a billy joel song that says we were all impressed with your halston dress ah (laughs) billy joel also sucks you suck i do suck um there's also there's also another famous hairdresser story. This guy named John Peters was Barbara Streisand's hairdresser, and now he produces all of the Batman movies. Okay, this is just Superman a real movies. who's who of... Hairdressery. <laughs> so, quote Ben Sisto, Keith was the first person I actually spoke with. He was pretty easy because his salon was still operating, or maybe I found a salon that he was just working at at the time, and I called up and asked if Keith was there. He's kind of like this high-ranking person, and he doesn't take cold calls. I said, well, I want to talk to him about, and then I think that that intrigued him a little, and he got on the phone with me pretty quickly, and his story was fairly cut and dry. This is his story. Wainwright goes on a- Hold it. Yes, yes. Before we hear Keith's story, you just said- Uh Uh-huh. Tell me. Ben What's your goes problem? on this journey to find out who let the dogs out. And the Correct. first person he talks to is Keith No Last Name. How did he find <laughs> Keith No Last Name without talking to anyone else? So I think I think the deal was that he and, and this is a little bit of conjecture. He he found Keith No Last Name in the Wikipedia, knew that he was a hairdresser from England, and called a famous English hairdressery and asked for Keith. Okay, this is sketchy. Oh, just keep Keith in your in your thoughts for a minute. Okay, is there going to be a screenplay? Uh, I hope I hope so. <laughs> Wainwright. So this is this is Keith's story. Keith okay. goes on a trip to Trinidad and Tobago, and he has the time of his life. He keeps going back and bringing home cassette tapes and CDs of music that he heard at Carnival there. And this British A and R exec began relying on those trips for new like samples. And that's how this dude named Jonathan King heard it. And Jonathan King was a record producer for Genesis. And he mm-hmm. got his hands on Doggy, the Anselm Douglas version, via a cassette I'm sorry, via a cassette <laughs> tape. Via a cassette tape. Okay. And Jonathan King was a producer for Genesis. So, like, he's also known he was to... like, man, do I got the guys for this. Well, <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up. <laughs> Because Jonathan King, who is white, recorded the song himself and released it in England under the name Fat Jack and His Pack of Pets. What? Fat Jack and His Pack of Pets. And he faked in a very embarrassing and racist Caribbean accent. Would no, you like to hear he Fat Jack and His Pack of oh, Pets you know singing Who Let the Dogs Out? <laughs> who let the dogs out? Who let the 
Oh my god. What was that intro? It's like it's like a Caribbean version of like the Scat Man or something. So this is interesting because he does the whitest thing ever by unsyncopating the hook. Right. So syncopation is emphasizing something that's not on the first beat, like doing something kind of offbeat. So the Baja men and Anselm Douglas go one, two, three, four, one. Who let the dogs out? And and Jonathan King goes one, two, three, four. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> yeah. And it's like white as fuck. Yeah. But everything else is basically the same. The same. Right? It's got some weird dance hall stuff. They're like, all of the instruments are now digital. I don't know if this was ever really supposed to be like a single, per se. The rather biggest question him. is why? Why did he do this? I can't imagine that anyone would want to release this. <laughs> right. However, according to, uh, according to the Daily Beast, the track flopped. Okay. So it was released. Uh, but Where? The hook- In England? Mm-hmm. But the hook caught the attention of Steve Greenberg, who gave it to the Baja men, yada, 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 right? And so Steve Greenberg, as I mentioned, discovered Hanson. He also discovered the Jonas Boys and jo- uh, the Jonas Brothers and Josh St- Joss Stone. So, like, he knows hits when he sees them. I just want to make sure I'm following this because I feel like I lost Keith in this whole thing. So Keith gave it to Jonathan, a.k.a. Fat Jack. Keith gave it to Jonathan by meaning he just like recounted it. No, he had a cassette tape. Oh, he had the tape. I forgot. Yeah. Keith gave the tape to Jonathan. Jonathan re-recorded it as Fat Jack. And and that song landed on Steve Greenberg's desk. And he's like, wow, this sucks. But the hook is good. Okay. But the story starts even earlier than that. Because the amount of people that claim authorship of Who Let the Dogs Out is staggering. What? Officially, Anselm Douglas is the credited songwriter. But let me quote Anselm Douglas for a second. Quote, I never told anyone, hey, I came up with the phrase, who let the dogs out? Never, because I didn't. (laughs) So, in late 1995 or early 1996, Patrick Stevenson and Leroy Williams, who are two producers who worked for a radio station out of Toronto wrote a radio promo for a different radio station in Buffalo, New York, containing the chorus, Who Let the Dogs Out? With the same melody? Yes. Anselm Douglas's brother-in-law was the host of the Toronto radio show that Leroy Williams and Patrick Stevenson worked for. And those two producers encouraged Douglas to record a full version of that idea, of that song. Quote, Stephen and Williams allowed Douglas to record the song and have it. They have said that they didn't, quote, take care of the business of legally protecting the song, and they didn't know that Anselm Douglas had licensed it to the Baja men until they heard it on the radio. Patrick Stevens and Leroy Williams write this as like a bumper for a radio station in New York. They knew that Douglas had recorded the song, but they didn't know that Douglas licensed it to the Baja men until they heard it on the radio. Okay. 
because the Anselm Douglas version of the song never made it to the United States. Okay. And Stevenson and Williams are quoted as saying like, oh, we went to this Jamaican restaurant for dinner one night and we heard our song playing on the radio. So would you like to hear the radio bumper that Williams and Stevenson made in 1995 or 1996? I would. Very aggressive. So it is definitely who let the dogs out, right? It's like there isn't really a yeah, a, it, it's a, a the hair same. It's who let the dogs out. So we're in 1995, right? The radio station produced a bumper that is who let the dogs out. But in 1994, this band called Twenty Fingers, featuring a singer called Gillette, released a song called "You're a Dog." This is in 1994, and it has a pretty similar chorus. I don't like the name 20 Fingers at all. Well, you're going to like one of their other songs. So this okay. is this is 20 Fingers featuring the Gillette. This is my favorite so far. It's your favorite so far. So this is 1994. Six years before the Baja Men version come out. So Stevenson and Williams, the radio producers, claim that they have never heard the song and 20 Fingers made no legal claim to who let the dogs out. Fun little detour. 20 Fingers actually wrote Who Let the Dogs Loose for the same reason that Anselm Douglas wrote Doggy, which was that they were sick of women getting catcalled in the club and this was a follow-up to their single, Short Dick Man. It's very 90s. Yeah. We've got some gyrating, hip thrusting. Some measuring of the junk. Don't want no short dick man. Honey, I'm with you. I'm... I'm, I'm pretty certain that we're going to go out on short dick man this week. We're not close to the end, but I'm just going to bring it back. Okay, good. So we think that 20 Fingers may or may not have inspired the radio producers who gave it to Douglas, who gave it to Fat Jack, who gave it to Steve Greenberg, who gave it to the Baja Men. But even earlier, in 1992... These two guys, Brett Hammock and Joe Gonzalez, who went by the rap duo Miami Boom Productions, released a song called Who Let the Dogs Out? What the hell? Okay, what the hell? Like, now I'm just getting weirded out. Because it's the exact same chorus delivered the same way, like slightly different background, dogs barking. Okay. So this is 1992. And Ben Sisto did a lot of work to authenticate that this was made in 92. But Miami Boom Productions states that their version was inspired by a song called The Mad Scientist by Bass Patrol. Who let the dogs out again? So they're actually saying, who's rocking this dog's house? What? Be- because no. 
because that is a sample of a 1987 song called Pump Up the Party by record producer Stevie B, who uh, went by Hassan at that point. So this song should sound pretty familiar. Pump up the party, pump up the party, pump up the party. Now damn! Okay, so we have Hassan from 87 inspiring the Mad Scientist by Bass Patrol, inspiring Miami Boom, maybe inspiring 20 Fingers and Gillette, who maybe inspired the radio DJs who gave it to Anselm Douglas, who gave it to Keith, who gave it to Fat Jack, who gave it to Steve, who gave it to the Baja Men. Following me so far? Yeah, so Anselm Douglas, when he was like, I didn't write the question, who let the dogs out, he means like the chorus, right? Because it's delivered the the exact same way every time. So it's not just like, this is a question. It's like, this is who let the dogs out. He's talking about, he didn't write the hook of the song. Okay, thank you. The only part of the song that everybody remembers. Right, okay. But when Ben Sisto dug a little deeper, he discovered that who let the dogs out may have had an even older inspiration this guy re- found out that he was doing this research in Who Let the Dogs Out. This guy named John Michael Davis, and he's from Dewajik, Michigan. Found out that Ben was researching the song. Yes. Okay. And he informed Ben that the lyrics had its roots in his hometown of Dewajik, Michigan, which is sometimes referred to as the dog patch. And <laughs> this is this is John Michael Davis's story that in 1990. There was a high school football game, and the Dewajik chieftains threw a Hail Mary pass to, to complete and win the game, and people in the stadium started chanting, ooh, let the dogs out. Ooh, and, let the dogs out. And the chieftains won the game and went on to become state champions, and they used this chant as their motto. It sounds like they're saying who. It does sound like who let the dogs out, but it's not the right rhythm. It's like who let the dogs out? Woof, woof, woof. Yeah, but it's, it's still it's, <laughs> it's still pretty close. Yeah. Okay, but here's the weirdest thing. Maybe not the weirdest thing. The this here's a weird thing. John Michael Davis's story is disputed by other people in Dewajik, Michigan, and some people in that town claim that the chant came from a guy named Keith the Funky Bus Driver. So many Keiths. I don't think there's so many Keiths. You think it's the same Keith? I think that I told you I'm trying to convince you that time travel exists. Okay. Keith the Funky Bus Driver also did hair on the side. (laughs) In the 70s. (laughs) Okay. So the weird thing about this is that Joe Gonzalez, another weird thing about this is that Joe Gonzalez from Miami Boom used to live in Dowagic, Michigan, but he claims that he never saw the Chieftains play, but also says it's not out of the question that he heard the phrase growing up. And even still, it turns out that there are variations of who let the dogs out that pop up in regional high school sports even earlier. Sisto Ben Sisto was able to trace one all the way back to the Austin Reagan High School in 1986. How do we have this on recording? So this is from a highlight reel from the 86-87 season of the Austin Reagan Raider High School Raider football team. 
What? It's who let the dogs out. In 1986, he's. It, this is a quote from Ben Sisto. In speaking with the players from the team, they've actually told me that it probably began in 84 or maybe 83. There are a few rumors that it could have started with a Little League team just prior to that. Okay, but what did they say? Like, how Who did, let the dogs out? <laughs> but how did this chant start? They don't know. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm drowning here in, <laughs> in, in how many people could have been responsible for this song. So Ben Sisto says this quote. I don't think anyone in the story is lying. You can hear something and it's just in there subconsciously until it's ready to come out. One of the big myths we tell ourselves about art is that it's made up by individuals. And that myth is sort of what the art market is propped up on. It's just about the very nature of art and life. And I think that all these ideas apply to every piece of creative work ever made. There's also another theory, which is like propagated by Elizabeth Gilbert sect, which is that ideas want to be born. Like there's Mm -hmm. actually some kind of creative muse like floating about in the universe that wants to be born. So if the song Who Let the Dogs Out really wants to be born, Mm -hmm. then it's going to go knocking on 17 people's door and wait for someone to birth the thing. The right person. (laughs) So, So... Sisto says it's a song that just belongs to pop culture at this point. In a way, we've all let the dogs out. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that you're kind of right. But let's so let's let's run down some possible theories. You've heard my main theory, which is that Keith is a time traveler. You're just doing this to get some buzz going about for your time travel movie. I mean, not no. <laughs> the other possibility is some there's a psychological phenomenon called presentiment and Lindsay, you actually learned about presentiment did i from dean raiden yes (laughs) so Lindsay and i used to produce together a podcast for yoga journal called the yoga show and we once talked to a parapsychologist named dr dean raiden who uh who taught us all about a presentiment study that he did. And so here's a clip from the yoga show that we produced just last year (laughs) talking to Dean Radin. So one of the studies that you have talked about in some of your lectures is a presentiment study where people seem to somehow subconsciously, they can predict a forthcoming image, whether it's going to be calming or disturbing. So they're sitting there. They know that an image is coming. They don't know what it is. A certain amount of time passes. And then you're measuring their skin conductance. Is that what you were measuring? One of many measures, yes. And so what you saw was that before the traumatizing image, there was a spike in, would we call it anxiety? Arousal. Arousal. We know very well what happens after you see an emotional picture. And so our hypothesis in this case was maybe uh, physiology begins to give a mimic, like a little pre-echo of what is about to happen, because part of our attention is is extended through through time. So the perfect would be something like uh, spider phobic or snake phobic, uh, where it's not simply that they don't like to see snakes or, or spiders, but they like really freak out. Well, that's perfect for this experiment. Because you, you want to see, is, is there some portion of your unconscious constantly scanning what's about to happen? And if you're about to be face-to-face with a spider, you need to know that. And so that person's going to have a bigger response. Well, we did see that 
for about a second and a half before the light flash, before the audio turn, uh, tone, their brains began to show a change. A second uh, and a half? Yeah. That's so much time. Uh, well, for the, the presentiment using skin conductance, it's three seconds. And for using heart rate, it's up to eight seconds. That's wow. so eight much seconds. time. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like a lot of time, and I suppose it is, except that it's, as I said before, it's like a time symmetry going on. If you look at how heart rate responds when you get a stimulus, it takes a long time. It takes like eight seconds to have a response. Skin conductance takes around three seconds. Your brain takes less than a second. So the presentiments that we're getting are like a pre-echo of the same so according to Dean Radin's presentiment theory, who let the dogs out provided such a strong reaction to so many people. And that has lasted like 15 or so, 20 years. And it stands to reason that the pre-echo of that reaction also appeared 15 to 20 years before the release of the song, which would put it at between 1980 and 1985. I'm so proud of you right now. Thank you. <laughs> So one thing to know about the Dean Rainin conversation is that I've been fascinated with his work for years, and um, I've watched a bunch of documentaries that I made Aviv watch that he was in, and I read um, one of his books, and there's also a lot of content on YouTube, and Aviv has spent a lot of time trying to I'm ruin this for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm a non-believer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't actually believe that Who Let the Dogs Out created such a such a rift in the force that why we've not all felt it a reverse makes echo. sense. I guess it does make sense. So the other more likely example is that good writers borrow and great writers steal, which in and of itself is a quote that has been misattributed to a bunch of different writers from my just Googling, people say it's Oscar Wilde or Pablo Picasso, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Um, but as far as I can tell, it was actually said by T.S. Eliot. And is that where we got steal like an artist? Yes. And T.S. Eliot actually did that a lot. So T.S. Eliot's whole style was kind of deconstructing and interpolating different works into his own work. Um, I remember my AP English teacher in high school saying that his poem that ends, this is the way the world will end, not with a bang, with a whimper, was supposed to be sung. Like, this is the way the world will end, not with a bang, but a whimper. And I couldn't actually really find any uh, evidence to back that up. But um, this is from an essay by Gladys Sia called After This, Our Exile, colon, Restoring Tradition Via the Unheimlich in T.S. Eliot's Poetry. And the quote is just as long as the title, which is that Eliot brings to the forefront of his reader's consciousness that his poetry is traditional despite appearing to work against it, deconstructing and slaughtering traditional works and appropriating them in his own via the figure of the uncanny. Um, so when I was in high school, I had to do a T.S. Eliot based project this was the same ap english class and bring in a modern day author who was kind of postmodern and grabbed different things and repurposed them like t.s Eliot did and my assertion was that bright eyes did the same thing so bright eyes on the record fevers and mirrors sings 
a version of Sunrise Sunset, and also does this in the song The Calendar Hung Itself. I was determined in Chicago, but I dug my teeth into my knees And I settled for a telephone, sang into your machine You are my sunshine, my only sunshine You are my sunshine, my only sunshine Okay, so what... What has Connor Oberst done in this track? Co-opted You Are My Sunshine. Yeah, co-opted, repurposed You Are My Sunshine. So that's called interpolation. It used to be just called like ripping off, but now in pop music we're, we're like embracing it a little bit more. And so the the new buzzword is interpolation. In Sour, uh, Olivia Rodrigo's album, it, the third track is often referred to as an interpolation of a Taylor Swift track. So um, from the... Definition. Interpolation in popular music refers to using a melody or portions of a melody, often with modified lyrics from a previously recorded song, but recording the melody instead of sampling it. So sampling would be actually taking the recording and this is just re-singing it. Interpolation is often used when the artist or label who owns the piece of music declines to license the sample or if licensing the piece of music is considered too costly. So that I don't exactly know how true that is, but there are a bunch of classic examples of interpolation in songs. The one that I think, because we can't go an episode without referencing the Beatles, uh, is in All You Need Is Love. The French national anthem? Yeah. Spoilers. So you don't need to listen to it, but the beginning of All You Need Is Love is actually just La Marseillaise, the French national anthem. Mm-hmm. And so this is where I kind of, I think that this is valid art. This is my own personal opinion. Uh, there's this movie called Finding Forrester, which is not the best movie in the world, but there's a moment, there's a plot point in the movie that really st- stuck with me, which is that um, the main, which is, this is the movie where you're the man now dog comes from, which is a meme in and of itself. But the kind of the plot hinges on the fact that this young writer has writer's block and he encounters this old hermit played by Sean Connery who has him start typing based on the first couple sentences of an essay that he had already written and then later on in the movie the young writer is accused of plagiarism just because the entirety of the essay is different except for that first couple of lines and so I don't know if that invalidates the if interpolating invalidates a piece of art and i truly believe maybe in the elizabeth gilbert type of way but maybe also in the kind of brains or complex machines kind of way where you can hear a thing and be inspired by it and make it right. your own and, and i, I think do this it's like paying a tribute right like I th- we saw that with blink 182 yes i took my time i hurried up uh-huh. the choice is mine yeah i didn't think enough yeah and, and to me that always just felt like like paying respect and yes so of course there is a a fine line between theft and paying respect but i this is how i write songs i feel kind of wholly uncreative as a songwriter until i hear a piece of music that inspires me and kind of makes me jealous that i didn't write it and so a vast 
I don't want to say majority, but a, a really good amount of the songs that I have written have been interpolated from other other songs. And I, I'm here to come clean. <laughs> so this is this is kind of my my last my last act for the of contrition for the episode is I'm gonna break down the songs that I was inspired by and then what I turned them into. And you, dear listener, can decide whether I am a thief or... A huge fraud, and we all hate you. Exactly, whether I'm a huge (laughs) fraud. And I have a fun little story to to end with. So uh, this one is... uh, The first one that we're going to listen to is a song called The Milkmaid by the band Kid Harpoon. I actually think it's not a band, but like a one person with the pseudonym Kid Harpoon. Here comes the milkmaid with her firm shoulders and the attitude of Caesar. For one so disposable, she's never been that way inclined. Her hands are strong like the night. We all sung her song. So this is not the part I was interested in. Okay. But this is. Okay. Through the days, the night confides in her. Her pails are filled with stars falling from the sky. Okay, keep that in your head. So this is from uh, a movie that I wrote and started where I played my own music called The Anchorite. It's been six years since Jimmy cracked a smile. Ever since he was a child, and the room was filled with clover. The promise was dressing up with her. She was dreaming who was a girl. All I ever wanted to call him Jamie. So that's theft. but those are the only parts of the song that even remotely resemble each other just kind of the beginnings of the verses but i was just so fascinated by the kind of way the melody interacted with the chords and loved that kind of falling from the one to the six it was it was great um so you want to hear another one Mm -hmm, i do the first track on my new record which is called college party mixtape volume one um available wherever you get your digital music is called stealing from friends has never been so easy and it is all about how i've basically been inspired by and stolen every song from a band called sure juror so this was the first song that i stole from sure juror they're friends of mine from philadelphia so it's okay i guess if this is our dawning, our kids will be on it. Our girlfriends to bacon, our couches to breaking, our TV to repo, our cars in the garage, and batting our lashes and sensuous details. We're sticking our fingers in ways unfamiliar. To coughing and rhythm, facts in the ceiling, like business and nephews. We left in the prison and kissed in the bathroom. We took what we're given, we gave up the rat race, the fevers, the disgrace, and hopefully forgiven. But things we're still doing. Compact and evil, we're black corpses deep under steeples, lift like angels, freed from a pocket. The girl, and so that can that is just 
that was turned into this. So maybe we're haunted. I remember it all. The girls that I once loved have bleached their hair bond, and I can't pass the cafe or ride on the subway to work on the Sabbath. Maybe on a Sunday. Uh, yeah, that's like exactly the same. Yes, it is exactly the same. <laughs> but once again, I'm playing you the parts that are the, the same. same. Right? And so they go into different uh, different places. But I, uh, you know, Jonathan Heathcote, who wrote Shoulda Couldas, is credited as a writer on this track because it is an interpolation of of his music. It's something that was so lodged in my brain that I could not escape it and, until I created something from it. But the last one I want to talk about is a fun musical story that involves my good buddy Dan, friend of the show. Summer of 2006 was similarly obsessed with this song, another Bright Eyes song. There's a reason that I talked about Bright Eyes interpolating so much is because guess what I did? So let's listen through to this because I want to show, I'm showing a lot of the similarities, but not really the differences and how it goes in different directions. So this will give you kind of a better idea of how things actually get interpolated and wind up sounding like different songs. And that was Pilfered Wholesale for uh, the Jacob the Horse and formerly Pray for Plansky song, Dodgy Disco.
Okay, so those songs start identically, and I'm here to admit that wholesale, I just wanted to write You Get Yours and wrote my own version of it, and that's what it was. And so the interesting part of this story is that when I was looking for a drummer for this band that I was starting in college, I Facebooked everyone with the interests of drums and drumming that went to BU. And this kid, Dan, responded saying that he was interested in drums and drumming and wanted to kind of start. I sent him this de- a demo track of this song, and he said, hey, are you familiar with this obscure bright eyes song and i said shut up dan you're in the band (laughs) and we made an agreement that if anyone else ever heard it or called us out on it we would retire the song right because you know if we could get away with it great and if connor oberst of bright eyes ever saw us play and gave a shit about it then we would retire the song so fast forward a couple years to november of 2008 Dan and my band were playing at Great Scott in Alston, Massachusetts, Alston Rock City, RIP. And we're in the middle of this song, Dodgy Disco, and Connor Oberst walks into the bar (laughs) because we were opening for a band from Saddle Creek Records and he was there to see his friends play. And according to everyone there, he did not seem to even notice that we existed. Um, So... (laughs) Great. We got we got away with it. But I think that this is truly a fight between art and inspiration versus capitalism and copyright. So who let the dogs out after doing this research seems to me to be something along the lines of wave your hands in the air like you just don't care or the roof is on fire, you know, whatever. Right, right. Right. And it was only after it became this massive hit and the entire hook of the song was based around this thing that d- a dozen people had already said and was like kind of a nothing. It was a throwaway here. It was a throwaway there. It was a chant at football games that then people started coming with their hands out and asking for money. So this is a, I think that art works in this kind of fluid way where everyone is inspired by everyone else's art and that's okay i say this as someone who regularly steals people's songs so (laughs) take that with a grain of salt but what do you think um well there's one thing that i think you may have glossed over which is the lawsuits right you're saying everyone came with their hands out looking for money um and i don't really know that much about that part of the story so there actually weren't a ton of lawsuits but the Guys, so the way to prove copyright infringement is twofold, right? You have to prove similarity, which I think many, many, many people can do. But you also have to prove access. So the well, you need to show that you were in the same room as someone who was playing the song for you and then you stole it. And so Anselm Douglas has probably opened himself up to a lawsuit because his brother-in-law was the DJ that these record producers worked for and they produced the song and like there are conversations between them, but they, they they actually did say out loud, like, Oh, we didn't really care about the money part. And it was only after the Baja men were licensed to make it this ultra super mega hit that they got a little sore about it, but Mm -hmm. there was never any kind of, I don't, I think that there was no lawsuit ever filed because I don't know if you can win a lawsuit like that. And then every other situation of this thing 
popping up, you can't really prove access, right? You can't prove that even though that Joe Gonzalez was in Michigan for the summer when the Dewajan chieftains were playing their their amazing run and chanting, chanting, ooh, let the dogs out, you can't ever prove that he was there and heard it. And even then, you can't prove that anyone ever heard Miami Boom's version of who let the dogs out. And that inspired the radio DJs. So it seems as though these things are kind of co-evolving in different places. The one thing that's so weird about it is... The, like I guess the cadence and how it's mm-hmm. so exact. Yeah, it's very very weird. But what do you think? Think about like protest chants, right? Because everyone is different, but the same. Sure. Like it'll be like, hey, hey, ho, ho. That orange Jackie Cheeto's Lacey's got, to, got go. to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, that came from some. Someone had access to a TV show or a news a news piece or something where they heard that for the first time. Right. We can probably trace the origin back to one or two people. True. I mean, maybe we could try. We could try. That's not what we're going to do for the next lyrics for lunch. No, it's not. So that's the story of who let the dogs out. We will never truly know who wrote the original hook or whether it was a thing that kind of co-evolved in different places. And Ben Sisto was asked if he did any research beyond this kind of high school sports in the early 80s thing. And he said, you know, if... This continues on into the 70s. It's someone else's story to tell. I think he's (laughs) quite sick of researching this. But so Ben said, I thought you said that Ben went out in search of finding out who let the dogs out. And he came out empty pawed. (laughs) He's given up, right? He said it belongs to everyone now. Okay, so for more information, if you are... Interested in even more background on Who Let the Dogs Out? Watch the movie, Who Let the Dogs Out, available on Amazon. Jeff Bezos should pay his taxes. Jeff Bezos should pay his taxes. So should the NFL. So should the NFL. So should all churches. Anywho, that's it for this week. We're going (laughs) to go out on on 20 Fingers and Gillette singing Small Dick Man. Because we don't want none of those in here. We don't. Certainly don't. <laughs> and uh, and join us next time. Let us know what you th- thought about this episode. We're on social media at Lyrics for Lunch on both Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Please don't harass us. Please do not harass us. We um, are available for all sugar babying. We are available for sugar babying. And if you want to be our sugar daddy, all you have to do is go to LyricsForLunch.com and click that little support button. And that will be that. <laughs> And that will be that. And tu- <laughs> and tune in next week when we do this all over again with a brand new song. Do we know what song it's going to be yet? I don't think we do. I don't think we have decided. So until next time, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying we don't want no small dick men. Mm-mm-mm.